0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Somos Moss, the official podcast of Somos Moss NM and your source for the latest news and notes on New Mexico United and the New Mexico Runners. My name, of course, is Seth Bedoff. Thank you guys so much for joining us as you do each and every week over here on YouTube, Facebook, or Twitter, wherever you may be watching from. Uh, I'm not entirely sure what Earl is doing at the moment, um, but as you can see, Earl is here to, uh, to, my, le- to my right here on the screen. Uh, no Jacob tonight as far as We know he may pop in. We got the word from Jacob just a little while ago. Um, Jacob, after three years of avoiding it, has tested positive for COVID. And so Jacob is not going to be with us this evening, uh, at least not live here on the show. Uh, At least that's the plan anyway. So uh, Jacob, we hope you're feeling We hope you get to feeling better, buddy. Uh, Earl and I have both been through it. We know it's not fun. Um, Yeah. Uh, fortunately when I had it, my symptoms weren't all that, weren't all that bad. So, uh, just a whole lot, just hanging out. But in the meantime, you know, we do, uh, we do appreciate each and every one of you being here as we do each and every week. Uh, man, we've got some stuff to talk about. We got a lot to get to Earl before we do get into the show this week. I did have one burning question for you. How disappointed were you in hell in a cell?
1: None. No, really? None. Absolutely none. Okay. It was a great show. Um, so, for most of you who don't know, I am an avid wrestling fan, whether it's WWE, AEW, TNA, whatever the heck it is. The ones that you guys think is fake, I watch that. Um, why? Because I find it entertaining. Um so this past weekend, they had one of their main event, one of their main premium live events. <laughs> there, there you go. Pay-per-view. <laughs> I caught myself. Yeah. Um, called Hell in a Cell. It was looking, it started off as a pretty boring outlook of a show. But then it changed completely. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about it later on tonight, so I'm not going to spoil anything. Um, all I know is Cody Rose is a, freaking roman god or something (laughs) that's that's all i
0: know for sure well i mean let's let's just go ahead and talk about it you know we i did kind of i had mentioned to you in our in our chat the other day or even on the pod last week i wish you'd been on so we could talk about it now historically correct me if i'm wrong but hell in a cell has has historically had multiple hell in a cell matches yes um and this year there was only one it was of course you know seth freaking rollins and cody rhodes now I'll admit I didn't tune in until much later. I, I saw the, the Cody Rhodes match in its entirety. I didn't wa- really watch the others. I did catch highlights of them later on. And I gotta say, like I was disappointed in that aspect of it. And then, and, and this is probably kind of, kind of will tie into it, but like raw was weird. Raw made no sense last night.
1: Yeah. Um, raw was super confusing. Um, I I was disappointed with Raw, don't get me wrong.
0: I felt like it was a giant letdown coming off of the the Cody Rhodes match. Um and mm-hmm. something the and some of the action in the other matches now um and, and if there's any others that you want to bring up, we'll talk about those, but Cody Rhodes went in there and I didn't know anything about his injury going into apparently he had a, a a ripped or a torn pectoral muscle.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And that they mentioned it right before the start of the match, and I didn't know anything about it. But he took his his robe off, and you could see like the bruising all down his right yeah. side. See, and it was at really
2: first, nasty.
1: at first, I thought it was a play. Mm-hmm. So I watched the entire pay per view or premium live event. I got myself there, <laughs> um, the entire premium live event, and even the kickoff show. And that's when they announced it right away. Hey, look, uh, Monday night, the Monday before, so a week from yesterday. Uh, Cody suffered a rip into his pectoral. It wasn't completely ripped yet. It was just a slight tear that he that had suffered and that he was good. Um, but then they announced later on that week, part of their announcement, they said later on that week, so on Friday, he was working out for the main event, for the premium live event, and completely ripped the pectoral off of his shoulder, off the bone. Hmm. So I, at first, I thought it was just a play. They're gonna have someone return um, in the form of a fiend, also known as Bray Wyatt. And those of you who don't know, Bray Wyatt is IRS. It's his son. Um, so he's been out of act- out of wrestling. He was technically fired from WWE um, about a year ago, uh, half a year, a year ago or so. Um, kind of surprisingly too, because he was a pretty big draw. So I was expecting him to return, attack Seth Rollins, give Cody the win. And I figured that's how it was going to span out. Well, that's not how it spanned out. Um, and in fact, was I was completely taken aside by the fact that Cody took off his robe. And like you said, the nastiest bruise that I've ever seen in my life. It was disgusting. So if you guys want to go see his injury, um, I could easily pull it up and throw it on, throw it on shared screen.
2: Yeah.
1: It was easily the nastiest bruise I've ever seen.
2: Yeah, Whereas, and I,
0: and I asked you too. Was it a legit injury? Because like I said, yes. I didn't know going into it, and so you know I wouldn't put it past WWE to to kind of like play it up to to try to make up it up. But as you're watching, like if there's any sort of makeup, it would have started coming off. Yeah. But and you couldn't see it. And honestly, like it was, I mean, it was hands down the best match of the night. It was. And, you know, all credit to, to Cody Rhodes. Like I, I know him personally, you know, I, um, so all credit to him like, for going out there and doing that. But for, but for him to go out and perform with an injury of that nature and, with such a physical performance
2: mm-hmm. and then
0: for Seth Rollins to, to sell it as well as he did. Know I feel like that was one of the best matches I've seen in a long time from WWE.
1: So I was actually supposed to be at this event. My brother had invited me. Hey, let's go to Chicago. Here's your plane, or here's your rest, here's your ticket to the event. Just buy your ticket or on the plane. Life happens and didn't get to make it out there. Um, so my brother was out there and I was texting him back and forth asking if it was legit. He was hoping that it was not legit and just a play, Mm -hmm. but going into the or going later on into the match and watching it and it, it was impressive to see him compete for 20 something minutes with one arm. Yeah. And credit to Seth Rollins, I mean, he's one of my favorites for sure. Seth Rollins has always been one of my favorites um for having the wherewithal and the know it and the know-how to not injure Cody any further than what he already was. I mean, yeah, right. it's pretty its pretty hard to not injure you any further when you literally have your pec hanging inside your body. I mean, it's pretty bad to have that already as it is, but for Seth Rollins to know how to maneuver around that and not injure Cody further than what it was already, I give both of those men kudos because no freaking way... I mean, I stub my toe and I'm crying, crying like a little bitch. <laughs> well,
2: I don't that think was, that I don't
0: think that surprises anyone at all.
1: I mean, especially <laughs> if it's my pinky toe. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I will I, I I'm I'm gonna be honest, I cry over Super Bowl commercials. And if you wonder which commercial I'm talking about, Google Hey Loretta Super Bowl commercial. Okay. <laughs> Seth is gonna write that down. He's gonna Google it after. Actually, I'll just text it to you and Jacob in the chat. Yeah,
0: there you go. Um, and if you don't cry,
1: you're a soulless bastard. <laughs> um,
0: I think you and Jacob have firmly established that I have no emotions, so
1: yeah. So, I mean, I can go on for days and days and days on just how great of a human Cody is, how great of an athlete Seth Rollins is, but the fact to just cements his legacy for sure. I mean, like as if he didn't already have a legacy with Dusty Rose being his dad. Um, after the event, he obviously was doing his thing, charading with the fans, interacting with them. Cool. Well, he did pick up a mic afterwards and announced to the, to the fans in attendance still that there was no convincing for him to go out there. Him going out there was all him. He told mm-hmm. him, yeah, I have a torn pec. Yeah, I know I have one freaking arm. I'm going against Seth freaking Rollins, but I'm still going to do it. I don't care what you guys say. I don't care what your doctors say. I'm going to go out there, and I'm going to compete. I'm going to give it what I can.
0: So yeah, yeah so it,
1: hands yeah. down to him for just being a genuine freaking human, really. I mean, because people are spending good money for those seats.
0: Yeah, they are, and yeah, it was just a, it was a genuinely fun match to watch. Um, you know, even go back to the last few premium live events, I feel like that's one of the the best handled matches. And then, mm-hmm. and yeah, you know, I, I watched parts of Raw last night, and I was like, man, this is such a letdown. Yeah. After the quality of Sunday night, like I couldn't follow what was going. On. There was all sorts of weird stuff, like Judgment Day turned on Edge. And- See, I'm okay with that. Like, I, I, okay I didn't that. understand it. And then like Seth Rollins came out and like, you know, so I guess they, they attacked, uh, he, he attacked Cody again. And, yeah.
1: So the reasoning behind Seth coming back out and attacking Cody that, I mean, I have watched wrestling. I'm 29 years old. I've watched wrestling for 27 years. When a superstar suffers a significant injury, mm-hmm. but he still shows up. So he still showed up to hell himself he still showed up to Monday Night Raw. They have to find a way to write that character off to allow him to go do his thing. That's exactly what that was. That was yeah. Cody Rhodes putting an end to the chapter, or Seth Rollins putting an end to the chapter, letting Cody go off into the into the sunset, get a surgery tomorrow at 9 a.m., mm-hmm. um, get a surgery tomorrow, come back, hopefully, which it's pretty virtually impossible. Hopefully in time for money in the bank, hopefully he wins it. Hopefully they could just do like promos on him, promo promo, let him just do his talking and use his mouth that he did like use his words that he can do <laughs> um, and play it out that way. I'm hoping, but Cody Rhodes wants to compete in money in the bank, which is, a month, well, July second, so a month from this past Monday or the, mm-hmm. this past Thursday. So he wants to go out and compete and climb a freaking ladder and take some pretty hard bumps because that's what Cody does. I, I I will be surprised if he shows up. I really
0: will. Yeah, Josh chat. Josh, glad to have you with us, man. Hopefully you're having a, a fantastic night. Hope things are going well for uh, for you and the family, man. We we uh, we miss you. Hopefully we get to see you soon. Um, let me ask you, Earl, for, for those of us that are not among the initiated, you know, Cody Rhodes obviously comes from wrestling royalty, Mm uh, you know, Dusty Rhodes, obviously Dustin Runnels is his his older brother. Um, you know, I, I know the family I've met them. Like I grew up in, you know, 30 minutes from where they did, uh, Dustin actually, or Cody actually went to school with my stepbrother. Um, so Cody obviously left several years ago. Left WWE, went to AEW, became the face of AEW for a number of years. Why do you think he chose now to come back? And what and what is making this push for him be so much more successful than his prior run in WWE? It's all part of his contract. So this push right here for him
1: is all part of his contract. I was trying to close out or something. Um. So yeah, you you nailed it on the head. He went to AEW. He founded AEW with Tony Khan. Um, <clears throat> who I think is a total freaking tool. Um, founded AEW, got it some success. I mean, AEW is a pretty good brand right now. Um, and then he had a falling out with with Tony Khan. I mean, the money wasn't there, the contract length wasn't there. There's was just too many differences to be able to agree on something. Well, with Cody Rhodes is Cody Rhodes's family being cemented in WWE history. I mean, you look at dusty roads, one of the greatest ever. You look at gold dust, one of the greatest entertainers ever. And then you look at Cody Rhodes, who had a decent run. In the first stint that he was there and money came down to it when he left, there wasn't enough money. There wasn't enough push for him. So he went, Somewhere where he can get pushed and get his hone his talents is what he said. Um, so him coming back, I was I was actually there when he came back.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So when his music hit, I was I, I I marked out as the wrestling fans use. Um, but why now? Because why not? WWE needed a big face to. To carry a brand and that's exactly what he was
0: doing was carrying monday night raw um, i would contend that they need that they they didn't necessarily need a a face a big face but they need a younger face they need someone who is significantly younger than you know triple h cena uh the guys that you know lesnar roman the guys that keep coming okay. back over and over there are guys that just retired or on the verge of retiring because i mean really you know seth freaking rollins is not going to carry wwe I think Bray Wyatt's not going to carry WWE. Some of these other guys, Austin Theory, they're not going to carry. They're not going to be the face of the company. Austin but Theory yeah. will
1: be the face of, of WWE. As much as I hate Eventually, to say it.
0: probably. As, as much
1: as I hate to freaking say it because Austin Theory annoys the ever-living cow shit out of me, he will be the face of WWE. He mm-hmm. will be the new Drew McIntyre. Guarantee it. Give him a year
0: and he'll be WWE champion. Yeah, so let's see. Cody Rhodes, he is thirty six. I'm older than Cody Rhodes. So, like I said, I, you know, he went to school with my stepbrother. brother. Um, so, I mean, even then at thirty six, he's still significantly younger than a lot of the the big name talent in WWE at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even Le- Brock Lesnar's in his forties, uh, I believe. You know, Roman is Roman's a little bit younger. I think Roman's like 32, 33, somewhere in there. Uh, yeah, I could be he's wrong about thirty three ish. Yeah, so you know, I I think Cody and those guys, you know, someone uh, of Cody's stature around that age group is what's going to carry WWE for the next decade or so. And so I think that had a lot.
1: What you have to look at it though is, I mean, it's a business. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, WWE is a business, and it's just like every football team. If you have a huge following with that one individual, those followers are going to come. For an example. Well, let me, let me
0: ask you this then. So What's years the- ago, obviously years ago, we had the Monday Night Wars. WCW, mm-hmm. Monday Night Nitro, WWE, uh, Monday Night Raw. When WCW went under and, all, and so much of that talent came over to WWE, why didn't some of them hit bigger than they did? Like why didn't Sting come over and, and really hit, and hit? You know, Sting could have been a massive draw. Why didn't like Chris Benoit, Booker T, the guys that carried WWE for so long? Why didn't they hit? And, and, like they could, like they really sh- probably should have coming over. So Booker T hit
1: hard, that's mm-hmm. for sure. I mean, he King of the Ring. He's now a two-time Hall of Famer, um, WWE Champion, World Heavyweight. Like he has those accolades already um Chris Benoit who god rest his soul um mm-hmm. he world heavyweight champion and then decided or he didn't really decide because I still think there was something else that played into it I'm one of them conspiracy theorists that believe that he did not kill his family mm-hmm. and that he was actually framed to look like a monster and someone else killed his family that's just my take that's neither here nor there that's completely my my complete oddball. You could look into it and do all your research that you want on it. But that's, that's my take. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so Crispin Wall was getting that push. And then tragedy struck. Um, I actually remember that day when it happened because they canceled the, they canceled Monday Night Raw. Um, there was a pay-per-view the day before. Then they found out later on that night. Canceled Monday Night Raw, canceled Friday Night SmackDown, and then finally had a tribute the next week. Um, but yeah, so Chris Wall had his push. Sting didn't come over till recently because he was a I bleed WCW hundred percent. Yeah, even though WCW is no longer existent, he was also well, tied but up this, with this TNA. thing went to TNA
0: and you know, yeah. he, he did other stuff. So
1: I I don't get that. I think that was more of a, I don't want to work for Vince McMahon. Mm-hmm. I want to test my waters elsewhere because I've seen what Vince can produce. I want to try something different. And my happy Sting came to WWE? Absolutely. Because I got to watch him go into the Hall of Fame. Yeah. So, yeah. So, as long as, I mean, some of those WCW people, stars could have got a bigger push. But then some of them, like Dean Malenko, I'm glad he didn't. Um the rest of the radicals that came over, I'm glad they didn't. Yeah, but for the but most there, part, there are
0: guys that it took a long time for they, for them to get mm-hmm. that push. So I mean, Eddie Eddie Guerrero eventually got that huge push, and Eddie became became just massive in WWE. See, in Mysterio, Eddie it, only
1: Eddie only got the push because he got over with fans.
0: Yeah. Once I going think on, I think the bags. same thing happened with Ray Mysterio too, right? Ray, exactly. fantastic career in WCW, you know, ran that, that cruiserweight division, and it took a long time for him to really gain an attraction in in right. WWE. And I think I think a lot of it had to do with at the time WWE was so heavy on pushing the the DX angle, the corporate ministry, the all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. They were so busy pushing all those things and not really looking at the individual talent. And really, going to tell you now, gave anyone outside the heavyweight division a shot,
1: right? I'm going to tell you now that Monday Night Wars era was the best of all time, Mm -hmm. hands down. I mean, you could put it up against the Ruthless Aggression era where Cena debuted, Kurt Angle, um, Hollywood Rock. I mean, you could look at it that at that Ruthless Aggression era and think, okay, that's that's some good material right there. Definitely is really good material. But then you look at the era right before it, where it was DX invading WCW. It was Ted Turner and Vince McMahon getting into a freaking, pretty much fist fight on national TV. It was Shane McMahon surprising, surprising Vince McMahon and buying WCW. Um, I mean, you look at the the WCW Monday Night Wars Attitude Era that was the best of all time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And yeah, I would definitely go and fight anyone on that opinion.
0: <laughs> no, I, I have to agree with you. I, I spent a lot of time watching wrestling back then during the, during the attitude era during the Monday night wars. Um, I just, I, yeah, I just feel like WWE has, has, has kind of suffered, especially over the past 10, 15 years where they keep. And, you know, it's not, I don't want to say, and, and Okay. So let me, let me, let me make sure I have this phrase correctly. They bring in the guys who they know are going to sell tickets. They bring in Hogan. Mm -hmm. They bring in Nash. They brought in Scott Hall for a little while. You know, they bring in all these guys they brought in, you know, they keep bringing back Goldberg and Lesnar and and all this stuff guys that are going to be going to be draws for about a month or so. And, and then they're just basically done with them. And I feel like in a, in a sense that diminishes their legacy, because they're throwing them out there uh, to spotlight them for you know, like I said, a couple weeks and then that's it, and then they're just gone. So you're you're
1: one hundred percent right, and I could not agree with you more. You'll see the Brock Lesnar's, the Bill Goldbergs, the Hulk Hogan's, you'll see those names start circulating when there's a big pay-per-view premium live event, whatever the hell you want to call it. Um, when there's a big premium live event coming up. So WrestleMania, we saw Bill Goldberg so- surface. Mm-hmm. We saw Hulk Hogan surface. Um, now in September, there's the Clash of the Castle in, in Wales. Um, you'll see big names surface again. William Regal. No, <laughs> no, he's over <laughs> on AEW running ah, his own muck over there. Too bad. Um, But yeah, you'll see the big names I mean Harry, you're completely right. WB, when you put when you compare apples to apples, I mean WB is still the flagship program. It's still miles above AEW. It's kilometers and years better than than TNA. And then I'm not even getting to the indies because those are just indies. Um, but the national televised ones the TNA, the AEW and WWE's hands down. WWE has the best product because there's a lot of money involved. And yes, AEW is where WWE superstars go to retire. Um, Just because they've done their time in WWE, they've burnt every avenue that they could possibly go down. They can, they've, Trailblaze everyone that they can go through, and now there's nothing else. And so now they're going to try to work with the, the younger guys in AEW like MJF, which I can only pray to any god available that MJF winds up in WWE.
0: I was going to ask you, Earl, what? Looking at how the the companies develop their talent, obviously TNA is not gonna have the top tier talent anymore a lot of older guys jeff jarrett uh you know i think kurt angle's over there now Mm -hmm. um you know sting has been over there for quite some time looking at how the different companies develop talent obviously wwe has nxt they also have developmental deals with some of the smaller independent leagues or wrestling circuits how does aew compare to others Are are they just about spending the money to bring in already known talent that's exactly what it is spend money to bring in big names
1: I mean, you look at it. They've spent money to bring in Jeff Hardy, Matt Hardy. So you look at the Hardy I Boys. saw that, yeah. You're looking at the Hardy Boys. You're looking at Daniel Bryan. You're looking at CM Punk, who arguably is one of the best WWE wrestlers, best WWE mouthpieces in history. I still remember CM Punk doing the pipe bomb where if I can re-quote Harry for a little bit and Harry, this is taken completely out of context but being the WWE follower, whatever fanatic that you want to call me CM Punk used this before to where, and I quote WWE will only be better when Vince McMahon is dead and I quote and I'm going to end the quote there. Um, but yeah, to mimic what Harry said in the chat, yeah, WWE will be a lot better when Vince has gone and retired um, because that means it's going to fall into the hands of Shane McMahon. It's going to fall into the hands of Stephanie and Triple H. That right there, you have creative genius.
0: How much more do you think McMahon has left, especially after the, uh, the, the less than... Stunning stunner. Oh, he'll be there man. forever. He'll be there forever. You, you, do you, do you think he'll still be an on air presence or do you think he'll yeah, definitely okay? Definitely.
1: Um, AEW is WWE light, but with fresh writing, or at least the start of it was. But Cody leaving is a huge black guy, in my opinion. I mean, I don't know if you're here with us in the beginning. Um, I, I touched on it. It was a contract negotiation that could not get set. It was, I want an apple, but you're willing to give me an orange. We're not going to agree on this. I want chocolate cake. You made me vanilla. I'm not going to take it. So, yeah. So, Cody's situation in AEW, I mean, he'll always be the founder of AEW. That'll always be his legacy that he started his own wrestling program. Um, but the fact that him and Tony Khan couldn't get couldn't get their ducks in a row and just get something settled. It's a huge blow for AEW for sure. For sure. And I think that's why they brought in CM Punk to try to get that, to try to lessen the blow of Cody Rhodes leaving by bringing in some big name, unfortunately washed up individual who's now in the same situation as Cody is, on the shelf with an injury because CM Punk broke his foot. I do not think MJF will be in AEW much longer, to be honest, especially after his meltdown that he had a couple weeks back where he told Tony Khan to essentially go fly a kite on a sunny day with no wind. So to put it lightly, he told Tony Khan to fire him. He He used some adult words. Some very adult words, like the F word. Um, in that phrase, was that last week? I, yeah, it was last week, last when, last Tuesday or Wednesday. Um, but yeah, I, I love MJF to death. I wish he would come to WB and get the big push that Cody is doing, which I think that's part of the reason why Cody did come to WB, was to be able to draw these lower name talents who have talent like the MJFs, the uh, Darby Allens, all of those individuals um, to be able to draw them into WB and have a better career. Because I tell you if Darby Allen were to come to WB, I'd be completely set.
0: All right. This, this actually kind of worked out a little bit, you know, Jacob not being here th- uh, this week. So we got to talk a little bit of wrestling. I talk some hell in a cell, uh, Earl, do you think we should make this a regular thing? We'll just kick Jacob off the show every now and then? Yes. Yeah? Okay. 100%. <laughs> so we'll play it like this. The week that I
1: can't make it on, the next week he won't be on.
0: All right, we'll do that. You guys can each have a, each have a week off every now and then. So.
1: Or, Or if there's a big pay-per-view or premium live event like Money in the Bank, he can just take off that next Tuesday because we're going to talk wrestling.
0: There, there you go. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll plan on that for the future. So, all right, guys. Hell in the Cell obviously was, of course, Sunday night. You can catch the replay of the premium live event over on Peacock. Or what's the next uh, live event? A uh, premium live event on schedule. The next premium Money live event
1: is Money in the Bank, July second, in Vegas. It was supposed to be at Allegiant Stadium, but they have moved it to a smaller venue, um, mm-hmm. essentially across the strip, um, because everything's across the street at the strip to the mgm grand
0: oh interesting okay i still,
1: will a, uh, more than likely be there
0: nice nice the obviously the mgm grand obviously still a very famous uh mm-hmm. facility so um yeah ca- capacity-wise definitely going to be a step down from, yeah. from legion stadium but I, I imagine it would make for a much better atmosphere uh than people setting out in 100 100 degree heat in the middle of the desert so <laughs> it, it's not fun,
1: trust me. I was there in August for SummerSlam and it was not fun.
0: Yeah, I'm not looking forward to anyone heading out to Phoenix uh over the next uh, month or so playing out in the heat out there, but uh um yeah, I mean, let's get right into it. Uh we did of course have a lot of soccer over the weekend. In Mexico United played, United, United the US men's national team played. We had all sorts of stuff going on. We had friendlies, we had uh, USL, we had MLS. There was all sorts of stuff going on. No, there wasn't any MLS. I do apologize. There was no MLS. Uh, NHL is going on. NBA is still playing, I think. I don't know. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, a lot of stuff going on. But obviously the the big news this week for New Mexico United, Atlanta United. We finally get the matchup we've all been waiting for. Atlanta United against New Mexico United uh, coming up in August. I don't know about you guys, but uh, I am uh, looking forward to that one. Uh, Of course, the news came out today. This fall in August, New Mexico United will be hosting the Somos Unidos Cup, a local tournament, or I don't want to say local, an international flavor tournament with the New Mexico United Academy, Atlanta United Academy, Colorado Rapids Academy, and CF Rados from Liga MX. Their academy is coming up as well uh, for a weekend tournament. should be a lot of fun. Dude, Harry, I'm telling you, I am so looking forward to this um like it's you know i've been begging for new mexico united and atlanta united to play each other in some fashion i didn't expect it at the academy level but i will take this like there are there's really good kids in atlanta united academy i've been following them for years um so i mean this is this is a huge thing it's obviously going to be hosted down at mesa del sol earl when this announcement came out today obviously you guys i think you and jake are both busy with work today um, I put that up in the chat. What was your initial reaction to that announcement? And then when you saw the clubs involved, you know, how big of a deal is this for New Mexico United?
1: So I actually saw it before you text me. Okay. Um, I did see it on Facebook before you text me. Um, but in my line of work, I mean, I could have a slow second where I see something like that. I could screenshot it and try to send it to you guys. And then I could just get buried in work. hmm So I'm pretty sure there's probably an unset message that I did not get to hit send to because (laughs) I got busy, just buried in work. Um, I was excited about it, though, because it's a huge step towards bringing something major to New Mexico. So if we could pull off a Somos Unidos Cup, for example, who's to say we can't host host a neutral site MLS Cup championship? Yeah. Who's to say, I mean, obviously we couldn't do like CONCACAF Champions League because obviously you might need like 70,000 people. And, hey, national
0: and, team has played at, at University Stadium in the past.
1: I mean, that's the thing. You can fit 7,000, so who's to say you can't have those, those other neutral site games
2: mm-hmm.
1: like a US Open Cup Championship neutral site or USL Cup neutral site championship? I mean, It's a good test to see if we can actually handle something of a, of a cup, which is I'm excited for, obviously I'm excited for the kids because they deserve nothing more but to play.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, So yeah, so I'm super excited for them to be able to play in this kind of environment. It'll give them a good idea of what is to come when they do finally hit the pro level and, and further, the major pro level, obviously, USL and MLS um, or further. Um, so, yeah, so it's a good it's a good initiation for them to be able to get into some kind of competition that actually means lifting a cup at the end
0: of the time. Oh, you know, United, the United Academy, of course, did win the Academy Cup last year behind the, the golden boot of uh, Christian Nava. Um, but. I mean, these are not small clubs that are coming in. These are right. not this is not like the Aust, this is not the Austin FC Academy, because I mean, but these are well established academies. These are, you know, the Mex the Atlanta United Academy has been around for almost five, six years now. Uh Rapids have been around even longer. You know, uh Monterey Riados from from Liga MX, These are clubs that are established in these academies are established. They have a, a well-developed pathway to professional and they move a lot of kids on. And so I think this is a, a huge step up in, in terms of the talent that they're going to be facing. Um, so, I mean, do you think, I mean, honestly, is does part of you worry that maybe it's too big of a step or do you think that this is going to be a, a very good test for what Luke Stanford and the and the United Coaching Academy uh, does?
1: It's a very good test. I mean, like I said, it's a good test for them to get into a competition that's not just regular USL Academy lifting a Academy Trophy or Academy Cup, but an actual cup against teams that aren't in the same... League is them I mean mm-hmm. obviously you're looking at Atlanta United Atlanta United Academy nine times out of ten we're not gonna play those kids right, right? you're looking at the Ros we would never play those kids because that's a different league in itself I mean it's a good test for them to get out there expand their name and get that test that they need to prove that they belong in this circuit.
0: Yeah, and and the other part of this announcement, too, is that this is going to be open to the public. They're going to sell tickets down to Mesa del Sol, which to me I thought was really interesting because we've seen preseason stuff. We've seen some friendlies down at at Mesa del Sol. But for them to open up ticket sales to a tournament down there, I think that's just absolutely massive.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm not super familiar with the layout of Mesa del Sol now. Mm -hmm. Um, but I do know last year when I went to the open, to the opening preseason match, I guess it was. It kind of, I mean, I hate to use this phrase, but it kind of sucked because there was no stands, there was nothing there. Um, so it's literally you standing for the three hours that it is.
2: Yeah, Um, yeah, there's
0: there's still there's still no stands. It is um when we were out there in the preseason season, they were having folks bring out um bring out their seats and, and chairs and things like that and you're, you're set up around the pitch obviously not behind the player benches but um you know it's and they finished the the interchange down there you know uh, Rio Bravo that's all finished and you honestly you can get you can get turned around in there but yeah that's done it's still just the, really just the one way in which is i think is going to change in the future uh after based on a video we saw this week um which we'll get yeah. to that here in just a minute we'll get um but yeah no it's still like there's no actual like bleachers out there or anything like that uh, but it's very apparent like the the locker room is finished you can see it you know as you're coming up the hill you can see the united locker room there um and just the, i mean the whole sports complex there is in was it's in pretty good shape i was out there a couple of weeks ago uh for yaffle and like it's in really it's in really good shape, and so I, I'm kind of curious, you know, how many tickets are gonna are they gonna make available? Are they maybe gonna bring in portable seating? Are they gonna do, how are they what are they gonna do in terms of you know fitting people in and out of there? You know, um, especially with the number of matches that, are, that they're going to play. Um, so there's a lot of things that go into this, uh, but I can't help but I just I can't help but be excited because this is an opportunity for uh, for the academy. Obviously, you know, we talked about that, you know, them playing other teams, but for New Mexico and had supporters to sit down and watch kids from these other academies.
1: Yeah. And it's definitely a good way for, I mean, even Zach Prince to go look at these future stars of the USL and see, Oh, I want that kid or mm-hmm. Hey, I want that one and see if he can't lure them into our Academy and then get them onto our senior squad. I mean, it's def- it's, it's a win-win no matter how you look at it. Um, and it's, it's going to be great because obviously it's the first major thing that's come to New Mexico pro soccer, whether you want to count the academies as a pro soccer team, I will. Um, so it's the first major thing that's come to New Mexico pro soccer that doesn't involve United senior team.
0: Yeah, it, yeah, it's a big deal. You know, the Academy is doing pretty well so far this year. They did suffer their first loss of the season over the weekend. Um, so I, I was gonna I had their schedule pulled up here. So um let's see, what do we have next? Six four, six, six. They oh, lost to San Diego Loyal Academy. Yeah, six twelve. Six twelve is next uh, against the El Paso Academy. Uh, Two p.m. kickoff down at Mesa del Sol. Uh, so be on the lookout for, uh, I'm assuming, tweets, live tweets, and things from the club regarding that because that is on Sunday uh, afternoon. Um, a lot of good things going on for the Academy. New Mexico United, obviously, making waves um, with this announcement here. Uh, the other thing that came out this week, and I want to talk about it before we get into the match recap, is that. A video started floating around over on Facebook, made it over to made it over to Reddit, uh, made it over to Twitter from MDS Investments, the Mesa del Sol investing group uh, who apparently have a plan to develop that entire area significantly more than it already is. And in this video, there is a rendering of MDS Stadium, which is very conspicuously colored yellow and black. And uh, there's a lot of speculation that Mesa Sol will be the new home of New Mexico United in the future. I did reach out to the club about this because obviously obviously it's just a rendering. We know that the club is still in, in talks and still in the planning stages of getting a stadium together after the bond in the fall. Again, pure speculation. The club did not respond at all. I we, I know that from talking to someone within the club that Pete's office is basically just covered in stadium stuff. So, Earl, do you think... No. Okay, you don't even know what I was
1: going to ask. <laughs> do I think that the stadium will be at Mesa del Sol? No. Okay. All right, so why not? Let me ask you that. Pete has said since day one of all the stadium talk... That there will be a stadium in downtown to Mm -hmm. rejuvenate downtown, to bring life to downtown Albuquerque, to bring traffic to downtown Albuquerque. Why would all of a sudden, because a bond doesn't pass, why would all of a sudden he go completely against what he's already said and go park out in the middle of nowhere at Mesa Del Sol?
0: Well, technically, Mesa del Sol is still within the Albuquerque city limits.
1: Well, I'm saying and I know it is. There's, there's I know a it's lot still there.
0: There's a lot of money being invested in that area, and we know that the club is going to go the private funding route. We know that they need space. There's plenty of space at Mesa del Sol. We know that they want to that the Mesa del Sol investors want to expand and continue to improve the the sporting complex there and it's really not i seen us seen also complaints on facebook about it being so far outside the city or it being so far i'm like it's literally a 5 minute drive
2: right
1: and so i'm not worried about the drive i'm not worried about that it is like the united die hard fans mm-hmm. and i'm not going to name any names because i'm not trying to piss anyone off on this on this uh, on this avenue but the united die hard fans won't go for that. They won't go for the fact that they'll, it's an inconvenience for them that they'll have to drive, that they'll have to change their plans from a downtown stadium to a Mesa del Sol stadium.
0: I'm sorry. I just, I just, I can't get behind that train. I thought, like, if you're a diehard, what does it matter if the stadium is downtown versus five minutes down the road? See, like, it really drive- doesn't matter. I literally drive. Well, I don't drive because Jacob picks me up. But me
1: and Jacob travel. Jacob travels two hour, two and a half hours. I travel 45 minutes to go to a match. I'm more than willing to travel the extra two and a half minutes down I-25 right. to get to a soccer game. I mean, I did it for a preseason game. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't bother me to drive an extra two minutes. I mean, I would take a stadium in my backyard.
0: I'd be okay with that. And, and the thing is, it's not like, you know, lodging is 20 minutes away. It's not like there isn't access to the area where, the, where this proposed or where this rendering was. Well, now, I know Mesa I del say...
1: Sol also, because you brought up lodging. Mm-hmm. I know Mesa del Sol does have apartments and hotels out there in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, I would be okay with Mesa del Sol. I really would. I don't think that the club would go for it,
0: though. And, and I mean, really all you got to jump on university and there's all sorts of hotels and stuff right there. Like you're, it's not, I think people are making a much bigger deal Yeah. out of that little amount of distance compared mm-hmm. to some of the other issues that the club faces and getting the stadium done.
2: yeah.
0: And, you know, from, from my perspective, I would gladly drive out the Meso del Sol. Like the only thing I will say that does need to be working on is the is the number of uh ingresses and egresses to get in and out of there, you know. But other than that, I mean really it's not a bad location. It's really it's not really
1: not. I love it, I love it out there. I love the Mesa del Sol area. Um and I think a stadium out there could definitely rejuvenate and pop that area for sure. -hmm. And give it the the spotlight that it needs. Because a lot of people don't know about Mesa Del Soul. They don't know that there's a small mom and pop shops there. They don't know about the hotels. They barely know about Netflix being out there at the Mm Albuquerque at the Q Stadium. Q Studios. I mean, it's it's a really good investment for the club to jump out there. And it it's an even better investment for them to partner up with a, a developer that actually wants them.
2: Yeah. And, and
0: it's very clear that MDS is, is wanting to drop some money in that area. Yeah. Like If you just look at that rendering, you know, all the it talks about all the future office space and retail shop and retail and hotels and,
1: mm-hmm. and the
0: sporting complex, because honestly, I don't, I, I, I completely welcome that sports complex being further developed and expanded and, and improved upon because I hate driving out the Bernalillo. <laughs> you know, um, not that it's a bad drive or anything, but it should—it would just be a lot more convenient, particularly for the Albuquerque clubs or clubs, you know, maybe coming in and out of town or events. See, and I'm
1: or... okay with it too because it's right off the freeway. Mm-hmm. I mean, you hop off from your Bravo, you take a left. Just don't get sidetracked on the stupid loop around because then you're you're going up to Gibson, and getting off on University. Yeah. Um, but that new roundabout area new interchange freeway remodel that you want to call it it's perfect yeah it's perfect
0: yeah yeah i I think yeah i think it's a great area so i but like i said i reach out to the club and typically when i reach out about something especially of that uh, well of any magnitude i get some sort of response you know typically someone playing coy or you know because generally it's me guessing whoever the new signing is or whatever bit of news is coming out but i got nothing so i don't know if that signifies anything i don't know if that you know is a we're you know because we like i said we know that the club is in is working on it we know that um you know i've heard I've had conversations with people that's you know says they're looking at you know 2024 2025 having a stadium done and built somewhere. So who knows? We just we just don't know. I just from a from a logistical standpoint for the club um I think Mesa Del Sol is a fantastic area. I think if they were to do that, they would get land a good deal cheaper than if they were to buy in Albuquerque. I think they're getting a much better deal in terms of uh, control over whatever they want to do compared to being in the city. And I think it just it benefits the club from a, from a number of different standpoints. And I think that some of the some of the negative comments are just overblown.
1: Yeah, and I mean, we can go on for days about this, but so in the long run, you're right. Logistically, it'd be a prime idea because they can get land for cheap. They can do what they want, and they're not under the purview of any homeowners associations or community districts.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I just saw Jacob's response. I told you
1: you would cry to Hey Loretta. And Jacob, funny. I'm glad you're not a soulless bastard like me because I too <laughs> cried during Hey Loretta. Um, Seth, on the other hand, probably won't cry. No. And he'll probably be like, What the fuck is this? <laughs>
0: I'll let you guys know when I when, when I watch it, but uh, you know, kind of in the middle of hosting a show here, so got to maintain some level of, of professionalism. So, um, yeah, so interesting to see. We've also heard from Pete that there may be an announcement coming in some point in the next month or two. So, who knows? Maybe the MDS thing. Someone leaked a video early. I don't know. Maybe MDS is not the spot that we think it, it's going to end up being. Maybe the maybe the club does stay in the city. We don't know. Hopefully, we'll have something between now and then um, in terms of a better idea of what's to come and what to expect in terms of a stadium announcement. So, um, But in the meantime, let's turn our attention to this past weekend where New Mexico United did defeat Orange County, defending champion Orange County SC by a final score of 2-1. And United did extend their win streak to four matches now, undefeated in their past six. And so... Earl, first thing I got to ask you is how does it feel to have compared to where we were a few weeks ago, seeing the club go out and get results? Oh, it's incredible.
1: I don't know what conversation happened in the locker room, what conversation happened on the training fields or training grounds, um, what conversations happen in the sunport or on the bus ride, wherever they go. But whatever conversation was done, it worked. The guys totally bought into it. Um, because just two weeks ago, we were sitting in ninth place. Mm-hmm. Sitting in ninth place, looking two spots up at a playoff spot, not looking good. Definitely not looking good. But the way the guys have come together and just played their hearts out, really. Essentially, that's what it is. Played their hearts out. It speaks volumes to what the club can do.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Because you figure we're still down at least two key players. At least. Because you're still looking at Mondo coming back sometime this month, hopefully. And then Josh Suggs. We still have Josh Suggs, who's arguably one of our best players on the field, itching to come back at any moment because God knows what his injury really is. It's torn um, muscle. A torn muscle.
2: Yeah,
1: That's all we hear. It's a torn muscle, but on Facebook, he's in a walking boot. Yeah. So God knows what his injury is, what he tore, what he, whatever the case may be. Hopefully, it's not an Achilles. Hopefully, it's just something like a calf or something um, that he can heal quickly and come back from that. But, I mean, the team right now that, we're, that we watch, the team we watched on Saturday, the team we watched... The week before that is the team that we all expected at the beginning of the season. You're looking at Weehan scoring goals. You're looking at a Harry Swartz, who's just dropping dimes wherever he wants. You're looking at Portillo assisting in the goal scoring. And now, if I'm not mistaken, now leads the team in goals.
0: Play is tied for the for their club lead. Let me double check that. Yeah, he's either
1: tied or he's or he's up there for, or he's top. One of the two. Either way, he's a top goal scorer for someone that plays defense. So that's impressive. And then you have kids like Nava coming in and just showing up and showing out for real, for sure. Um, you have Surge playing in positions that isn't his position. He's now playing striker. You have. I mean, we have the depth now. That when we do finally get Mondo back, we'll get Nava back, or when we get Mondo back, we get Suggs back. um, We're going to look good because now we're getting our captain back. We're getting our top goal scorer from last season or second top goal scorer from last season back. We're going to look like the team we should have been. And it'll be a f- interesting second half of the season, really.
0: Yeah, so Nico, Harry and Justin are all uh, even on four goals.
1: So. yeah, I mean and Harry or Nico play or Justin plays defensive midfield.
0: Yeah. Yeah, uh Justin Portillo has been a has been just been fantastic this season. Uh can't say enough about his performance, but yeah, Saturday against Orange County, uh, you know, obviously the match got started about an hour late, and a little over an hour late due to a technical issue out in orange county um and so the the match was obviously pulled from koat seven here in town but i mean so obviously that throws things off from a preparation standpoint you get ready you're out there you're ready to go then like literally at game time you're told hey we're gonna have a delay so at that point you then have to you know not say cool down but like temper your 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 warmups and your expectations and and try to keep that level of intensity ready for whenever the game does start, because it took them quite a while to figure out what was going to go on. And then you get back out on the field and United looks the better side for the first 30 minutes or so. Obviously uh, you get the penalty early. uh, Justin Portillo converts it. And then the, the goal from Chris Weehan just absolutely just, incredible goal from from bees because uh you see uh <clears throat> you see preston start off the the counter attack right around midfield uh picking up the ball and moving forward they it just puts a no perfect ball to, to nico and Nico's not a guy that you think of as a hold-up player very frequently and then just the way he he managed that ball drew two orange county defenders off to the right allowing bees space to get in there and playing the ball off and it was just a tremendous like opening 30 minutes of the match for united um so talking about that you know united goes up two nil first half Earl, what was your thought at that point did you think it was going to be a fairly a fairly smooth sailing for the rest of the match or you know how are you feeling about what you had seen so far
1: I was feeling good about it. I mean, I was super comfortable with going up 2-0. Um I honestly expected maybe a third in the first half. I would not have been upset about it. Mm-hmm. Um but I was not worried about it. I was definitely comfortable with it for sure because I mean if we play like we did the first half, definitely can hold can hold that down. Um I don't know what the hell happened in the last six minutes of the match, even in in the stoppage time.
0: But if we could talk about that, I mean, who cares about the first half? Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that because I, I, the reason I said it the way I did is because something happened in the first half. It's not something we typically see a lot of. It was it was a early substitution. Now, typically, when you see this, it's an injury issue. But um, O'Coly, Sean O'Coley came on. And um, replaced uh, Hunter Gorski. Um, Gorski, uh, obviously a, a defender. And so Orange County kind of went to almost like a 2-4-3, almost. Yeah. Or, or a 2-4-4. Four, four. But it almost played more like what United does with, with wingbacks. But Okolie coming on dramatically changed how this match was being played. Well, yeah, I mean,
1: you you look at it, what was it, three minutes into at, w- after he got on the pitch, he was already a goal-scoring opportunity? hmm I mean, Okoli is definitely a deadly player, for sure. Why he was on the bench, I'm not 100% sure. Maybe they thought that they'd wear us down, and then Okoli comes in and scores the game winner or scores the tie, whatever the case was. Um but yeah, that Kubo Ocoli combination up front for Orange County can definitely be dangerous if they can get the rest of the rest of the team playing that same game.
2: Yeah,
0: Ocoli when he came on, he he got that run there initially and there was just a ton of space between our two center backs and had he been even remotely on frame, I feel like he would have gotten the ball past uh, past Alex. But yeah, you know, I was over in the subreddit in the in the live match match that talking with some folks. As, as soon as Okoli came on, I said this guy is dangerous. Like this is a a massive shift in what Orange County wants to do. And sure enough, like, like we just talked about, within minutes Okoli had an impact on that match, and and it was in the, I think it was the 37th minute he came on, and then from that point on, Orange County looked like a completely different club. Like they, they definitely started playing more wide open. They were playing more free, you know, being even though they were two 0 down, and that could have been dangerous for them. But they managed to put together a lot of pressure. Uh, there, right at the end, you saw it at the end of the first half, and then throughout the entire second half, you could see that pressure just mounting and mounting. And you know, they were trying to put the ball into places where you know Ocoli or uh, Kubo Torres or Iloski could get to it. And you know, Alex obviously came up huge throughout the second half. End up with six total credit saves on the night, and and you know, what was it about Orange County and the way they were playing that you've that seemed to be giving not okay? I don't want to say it gave United fits, but it had definitely pushed United back on their heels, which is not how we really wanted to play that match. Being up two nil, I think what what did it for us? What kind of gave us a couple
1: white hairs, a couple stress moments. Was the fact that they had four or five goal scorers on the pitch at once? Mm -hmm. Because you look at Kubo, who is their penalty taker. You look at Okoli. You look at Ialaski. They had someone in the two in the midfield that could score. So even if you just look at their three, that's a three man front to our two or two uh, back lines that hang out constantly there. Mm-hmm. And then when you start looking at United shift a little bit more, a majority of the game, you're playing with that one-man back. You're playing with Kalen in the back, and you have Rush coming up the side, or you have uh, Kalen coming up a little bit to the midfield and having Rush on the back. I mean, for a majority of the match, you have one person hanging out in the back. All it takes is one quick breakout with, Kubo and Okoli or Ilasky and Okoli whatever whoever the combination you want to put there and you're looking at a 2 on 1 possibly a 3 on 1 if someone can't get back in time luckily we didn't get into that situation we only got a a fast break from Okoli which caught us off guard because we didn't expect that to happen so quick um but really that's what gave us fits was the fact that we're now looking at 3 to 5 different scoring opportunities for Orange County where we only have two or three back linesmen trying to hold that, hold that fort down.
0: Yeah, And I will say that United did do a fairly good job of managing the pressure. Like, yes, they were getting
1: shots
2: off. They
0: did, but it could have
1: easily turned into a Orange County shootout. Mm Mm-hmm and them just going to town on 3 to 3 on 1s or 2 on 1s or even 2 on 1 versus the keeper.
0: Yeah, it definitely could have turned out that way. Like you can see Kubo's ability, and obviously he's a guy that's working to get back in a in a tier one club somewhere, and he's really come on in recent weeks. And and, you know, Milan Alaski is a guy; he scored against us in the first match between the two clubs this year, and so we know what these guys can do. We know what they're capable of, and you could see what they were. What Orange County was trying to do, Uh, they just kept the pressure on the entire second half. They drastically swung the the possession stats in their favor, but time and time again. Alex Tambakis kept coming up huge. He was in the right position making big, big saves. You know, uh, you, you saw some of the – just his talent was just on display and how he didn't get – I mean, I, I know he was named to the bench for Team of the Week. I know that he won Save of the Week last week. But how he d- didn't get more than bench this week is beyond me, and I have a feeling that he may be up there again for Save of the Week again this week. Um like Alex's performance was just out of this world. Yeah, and definitely. So
1: I am actually stuck with a cat in my mouth right now because last season, I mean, we had our good friend Casey on here grilling me about goalkeeping. Um, to this day, Casey still grills me about goalkeeping. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love Casey. Um, hope you're enjoying retirement, old man. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so last season I was one of the biggest critics of Tambekis. This season, I can honestly say he's my most improved player because of how many clean sheets he has or how many penalties or how many saves he has in critical moments of the game. He's come up big in critical moments of the game, including this past Saturday in a penalty where the odds are definitely not in your favor. I mean, you're standing around for about 2 minutes waiting for this penalty kick to come to you. You know if you don't save this, you're going home with 1 point. You know if you do save this, you have 3. Right. There's a lot of there's a lot of pressure riding on this one penalty kick. And for him to guess the right direction, guess the right height, guess the right speed of the ball so the ball doesn't roll over his hand or roll over, roll under his, under his arms and go in is incredible. So yeah, I mean, I can definitely say right now that I am stuck in a rock and a hard place because as much as I want to continue the training that I built last year, last season with uh, with the is hardship, I can't do it this year because he's proven what he can do.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at stats. I wanted to make sure I had them written down right. So in 2021, Alex Tambakas had a 69.4% save percentage. Uh, currently on the season through th- 13 matches, I think it is. Let me double check out. Yeah, through, through 12 matches. Uh, so last season and all of twenty twenty one, Alex Tenba has faced one hundred twenty one shots, saved eighty four of them, conceding thirty seven goals. So far through twelve matches, he's faced twenty nine shots, saved twenty three of them. So he's only surrendered six goals.
1: <laughs> I was gonna say, I was thinking it was nine, but mm-hmm. yeah, he's only. I was trying to do quick math too, trying to remember some of the scores, yeah. but yeah, he's only scored a. He's only conceded a handful of goals this season.
0: Yeah, he's and only got already eight halfway into it. Yeah. Yeah. He's already, he only has eight appearances this season. Um, the other uh, appearances uh, came from, uh, from Ford and Cody. So um, wait, hang on. Yeah. For Cody and Ford. Uh, Cody had two appearances. Ford had two appearances and Alex the horse had eight. So I, uh, you know, it's Alex has played out of his mind so far this year. I, I, And I want to double check. I think there may be two guys ahead of him in save percentage, but like, and I wouldn't, and I can see why you would want to call him your, your most improved player so far. But to me, it's not even so much Alex. It's the defense in front of him has been, has been so much better and we're not giving up anywhere near as many, you know, stupid chances or clear opportunities as we have in the pre- in, in previous years. So I think that's the biggest difference there. See,
1: and we're not giving up those big opportunities to the opposing team because we're not giving away the ball as much. Mm-hmm. Granted, we are still giving the ball away. I mean, there are some boneheaded moves. There was one on Saturday that I remember where Rosh tried to pass it to the middle. Yeah. It got picked off. That could have easily been dangerous. But the team rallied around that mistake and stop that opportunity. Where last season, you would do that and, oh, shit, we just gave the ball away, and they darts Haji Berry for 40 yards and scores mm-hmm. a goal.
0: Yeah, yeah, last year that definitely would have been a, a goal for whoever the opposition was. But, yeah, to see Rosh make that mistake and then the way the club, like you said, they, they, they rallied around it, they prevented the opportunity, um, didn't give Orange County a, a clear chance to to capitalize on it and so you know that's just night and day from last year and you can see just the way this club has has come together this year um and you know talking talking about the end of this match you know obviously you know with the amount of pressure like it just it kind of seemed like something might happen at some point i had predicted two nil last week you know i I, i'm not i think jacob i think jacob said he he predicted one one um but this match easily could have seen a couple more goals scored, particularly at the end. And you know, I saw some people over on the subreddit complaining about uh Ilosky scoring here at the end, and you know, maybe that saying that the front office need to talk to Zach. And I don't think that's the issue. I think it's in that moment, Alaski was left unmarked at the top of the box. And you can see if you go back and watch the replay, you can see Sergio react, like he realizes, oh shit. He's unmarked and Sergio tries to get out there, but he's not there in time to help prevent Ilosky from getting a clean shot off. And so I don't actually think that's Zach. That's not Zach at all. That's the guys just not accounting for where Ilosky is. It was literally a breakdown on the pitch. That's
1: Mm -hmm. all it was. I mean, yeah, goals are going to be scored regardless of which team. I mean, You look at freaking Phoenix, who lost 1-0 to a lower squad. Mm -hmm. You look at Lou City, who lost, God, I think it was 2-0 or 3-0. To Monterey Bay, who's at the bottom of the freaking league. So yeah, goals are going to be scored. And did Iloski scoring that goal worry me? No, not at all. Was I super stressed during that penalty kick? Absolutely, because now we're looking at three points essentially being erased, or two points being erased, and that's coming home with a draw. Would I have been okay with the draw? Yeah, sure. I would be okay with a draw because it's not a loss. Mm -hmm. Would I have been heartbroken because we were the better club? Absolutely. Because up until the 60th to 70th minute, we were dominating the game. We were the club that should have easily walked out with, four goals scored. But for some reason, we decided to let off the reins a little bit. And that's when it bit us in the ass. Yeah. Once we let off the reins and took out our scores and took out our, took out our pressure and turned it off. That's when orange County came back and they scored their goal. And then the fluke of a penalty, which some fans of United say that that shouldn't have been a penalty I have done my searching to see why it was a penalty. And, yeah, 100% understand. Ref calls advantage to see if he scores. Goal score or goal opportunity does not get scored. Therefore, you call the penalty. It was in the box. It's a penalty.
0: Yeah, the discussion around that for me, and when I saw some people saying that it was soft, you know, it wasn't even a penalty. So I go back and I watch it. And you see Kalen trying to recover against uh uh who was it? Uh Kubo.
2: Mm-hmm. He's
0: trying he's trying to recover against Kubo. And Kalen does stick out his right foot and he's not playing he's not attempting to play the ball. He's not, you know, uh, it's not necessarily a dangerous play, but he does catch Kubo's right foot, right leg, and then drives um, down. Yeah, and, you know, and Kubo does fall over. I, I will say, you know, to me it's soft, but it is a foul in the box uh-huh. and it is a penalty. So yeah, and like you said, you know, the referee allowed the advantage to play, um, which is the right call here. It's the right call because if um so even though Kubo went down, if I think it was Peterson behind him, I, let me double check that. Um
1: yeah, I believe it was Peterson.
0: Uh it doesn't actually say it in the in the stat line here. Oh, maybe it does. Yeah. Peterson. Um, no, that's not, no, that's not it. It doesn't actually show, but yeah. So the, the player that missed the shot, you do allow advantage to continue there because if he scores there, it's a goal and potentially a yellow card to to Kalen. If you stop play immediately and immediately go to a penalty, like there's no telling what would have happened. You know, if if orange County had, had, put the ball in the back of the net you're then negating a goal if you but if you allow that by allowing it to continue you see a miss you award the penalty and then one of one of the biggest moments of the season so far happened right after that you know uh you know Kubo stepped to the spot and um went try to go bottom left but you can if you watch that penalty it's not it's not a great take by Kubo like I, I hate the stutter step number one and then He doesn't put the ball far enough to the left so that it's out of Alex's reach. And so really, like if you go back and watch that replay, the ball is basically in Alex's midsection when he goes down to his right. Yeah, so so the
1: thing about the stutter step, um, nine times out of ten, unless you're a Cristiano Ronaldo or Lionel Messi taking that kick or Harry Kane, nine times out of ten, once you stutter... You glance where you're trying to go with it. Mm -hmm. You're giving, you're tipping, as a baseball term, you're tipping your pitch. Yeah. You're letting the guy know, hey, I'm going right here. Now I'm going bottom right corner. Have fun jumping there. Yeah. So, yeah, I am with you 100%. I do not like the stutter step unless you intend on going the opposite direction
0: yeah and it was just you know just watching alex's reaction like he timed his, his he timed his movement perfectly you know didn't come off early uh went the right direction i mean obviously if he'd gone the other direction we're having a completely different conversation but you know again not a well-taken kick Kubo didn't get it anywhere far enough left you know right you know like i said alex didn't have to he went down to his right ball is basically in his midsection um and then you know the referee blows their whistle you know basically immediately after ending the match and so um yeah just alex stood on his freaking head man and it's not that united actually played poorly but you know orange county made that change bringing in O'Cole early and it just changed the entire dynamic of the match allow them to control possession a lot more than what we've seen united giving up um but yeah, like it came down to Alex, and, and you know, Alex is, Alex has been fantastic so far this year. Uh, can't say enough about his performance, and and uh, you know, he was my man of the match.
1: Yeah, definitely mine too. I mean, I like I said, I definitely give Alex to this point most improved player, just because of the grief and the bullshit that I served him last year. <laughs>
2: All right,
0: well there you have it. New Mexico United two one winners over uh, Orange County SC. United currently sit third in the Western Conference on twenty two points. Uh, switchbacks are of course still in first on twenty seven. They do have a switchbacks have a match in hand on both United and San Antonio. Two matches in hand on San Diego and Phoenix, Phoenix Rising, and four matches in hand on Locomotive. Uh, we still have three matches in the hand on uh, Locomotive one in hand on San Diego and Phoenix. So uh, United still has some opportunities to put some space between themselves and some clubs if they continue the this run that they've been on. So uh, I was – and I'm terrible at math, but I was doing the
1: math. Mm-hmm. And correct me if I'm wrong. If So looking at the next two matches. So if San Antonio, who I believe is in second, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Switchbacks, who are in first, If they draw or lose their next two matches and they don't win their next two matches, United then wins their next two matches.
0: We're in first place. Am I correct? All right. So you said if San Antonio and switchbacks draw or lose their next two matches, Mm -hmm. the United will be in first. And if United wins their next two matches. So if United wins their next two matches, that puts them on 28 points. If San Antonio draws or loses – that if they, at 25. If, if they lose both, they, they stay on 27. If they draw once, it puts them on 28. If they draw twice, it puts them on 29. Right. Colorado, is, same there. If they, if they lose twice, they stay on 27. If they draw once, they go to 28. If they draw twice, they go to 29. Um, so yeah, we depending on the, the results here, uh, let me see when they play. San Antonio plays uh, Saturday, the 11th against Monterey Bay, Monterey Bay has been playing a lot better lately. So that's the match to keep an eye on that match, of course is in Monterey. So, um, that's a match to keep an eye on this weekend. If you're watching the standings, uh, Colorado Springs plays Los dos on Saturday as well. Uh, Los dos are sitting in ninth on 18 points. That could be an interesting match. Um, that one could be interesting to see. Los dos did beat our, uh, Lou City a couple of weeks ago by a final of 4 3. Since then, they've lost to Memphis 9 1. Memphis, of course, the, the best team in the Eastern Conference at the moment. They also lost 1 0 to Oakland Roots, drew 2 2 with San Diego Loyal, and beat Rio Grande Valley. So there's some interesting matchups this weekend before United gets back on the pitch next Wednesday um, when United takes on Oakland. And we will talk about that match next week so um earl before we get out of here do you have any closing thoughts on saturday's match or any of the news that's come out
1: not really i mean we we played a decent game we came off with three and i mean you couldn't ask for more you got three on the road against a decent team i mean if you were to ask for more you'd just be picky at that point
0: yeah, I agree. You know, uh, United's been playing well. Uh, obviously, you're not going to leave the stats, the statistical categories in every single match, and I think that was on display Saturday night, obviously. Uh, United still played well. United still played well. They they managed uh, themselves defensively, aside from, uh, you know, surrendering a foul in the box and then uh, leaving Oloski unmarked. But all things that can be taken care of, uh, you know, in the coming, in the coming days and weeks in, in training. And so, yeah, United are on a run. Let's see if they can keep it up next week. Obviously next Tuesday, we'll be back. We will talk about Oakland roots um, next Tuesday. And then the following week, we will do the roots recap as well as preview the two following matches after that. So um, appreciate you guys being here. Harry, jo- uh, Josh, Carrillo, thank you guys so much for hanging out in the chat. Uh, Jacob, uh, wish you were here, sucks. buddy. When, yep, sucks that you got COVID, but, uh, buddy. We um, hope you feel better. Hope to see you back next week. Um, but in the meantime, guys, go check us out, social medias, uh, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, uh, Reddit, or on Reddit. Um, and so, yeah, uh, give us a shout wherever you're at. And uh, until next time, Somos you. You've been listening to Somos Mas, your source for the latest news and notes on New Mexico United, the USL, and the New Mexico Runners. All of our shows are recorded live on Tuesday nights and are streamed on our YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter pages. An audio-only version of the show goes live later in the week on all major podcast platforms. Our show is written and produced by Seth Bidoff, Jacob Terrell, and Earl Nieto, and is edited by Seth. All episodes are recorded and edited using StreamYard and Audacity.